You're listening to the School of Hard Knock Knocks podcast with me, Maury Morgan. Ladies and gentlemen, your next comedian. <laughs> Shouldn't drink on an empty head, you know that, don't you? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having no. listened to it. That's a bucket list. You have dangerously underprepared yourself for the shit that is about to get real. Michael Schaefer is a stand-up comic and a writer for the project on Network 10. But this success hasn't happened overnight. Like most stand-up comedians, it started off with bombing at his first open mic and then two years of performing at every opportunity that presented itself. His next step was hosting The Leak on community television station Channel 31 before climbing the ranks to commercial television. In this School of Hard Knock Knock stand-up comedy podcast, you will learn how religious cynicism, disinterest in a law degree and an unhealthy consumption of news can lead to a great comedy career. And if you'd like to kickstart your own stand-up comedy career, then join the School of Hard Knock Knock's five-day stand-up comedy course in Melbourne this June 18 to 22nd. Legends of comedy Aussie Chris Franklin and UK Jeff Green are our special guest comedians. They'll also be headlining at the graduation on June 22 alongside the student comedians. Spots in this course are limited, so go to www.schoolofhardknockknocks.com and book your spot today. Now, Hard Knock Knockers, here's Michael Schaefer. Michael, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Murray? Thank you very much for your time. I, I understand you're actually on your way to work right now, so I've caught you at a good time. <laughs> Perfect time, yeah. I'm just on my way uh, to uh, Channel 10 because uh, I arrived for the project. Yeah, I'm going to be, uh, be starting there pretty soon. That's a fantastic achievement, and we will certainly be talking about that. The journey from a stand-up comedian and getting into RMI TV or being on channel uh, C31 uh, and now writing for the project. We're going to go through this, but I want to I want to start from the beginning. A lot of the people that listen to this podcast, they're either just entering or learning about the, the, the trade, the craft, and they'd like to know kind of the beginnings. So can I ask, Michael, when was the first time you ever did an open mic? The first time I did an open mic would have been... Uh Probably towards the start of 2014, I um, I was kind of like I'd, I'd had the like, kind of urge to do, you know, comedy for a while, and then uh, eventually kind of just like decided, well, I've got to give it a go. So just emailed like a few. I just went on Google and kind of googled open mic rooms in Melbourne, found a couple, emailed you know a guy who got back to me, and then he's like, well, I'll just turn up you know on this date and uh, you can do five minutes. So um, yeah, my first gig was like you know. 2014 and um you know it was horrible and i was terrible and so bad where was it uh which, which room at a place called uh station 59 in richmond mm-hmm. no. uh, which is, uh a lot of a lot of you know melbourne comics you know do their first kind of gigs there so um yeah that was actually and they, you know they, they were happy to kind of have me come on and you know and do five minutes so that was very you know nice of them so let me just Five minutes is a long time for someone who's never done stand-up before. So I'm assuming you had done, what, something at school or to friends and family? How did you go from zero to five? Well, not really. I remember at school I used to kind of do these speeches once a year. We had a speech competition. And so I used to do like a funny mm-hmm. speech at school once a year. So, But other than, you know, other than that, that was really the only kind of, you know, public speaking experience that I had. So, right. yeah, but five minutes is definitely a long time when you're new and you know, watching someone bomb five minutes feels like it goes on for a lot longer. And it feels. Like... And did you bomb? How how was it? How was the first time? Oh, obviously, I was terrible. <laughs> I remember the audience being quite 
um, nice and quite supportive. So even when I had a when I had the semblance of a punchline, they kind of laughed a little bit. Right. So Awkward. it was nice having that quite supportive crowd. It made me feel like okay, maybe. I can tell a joke. Maybe I can do this again. Right. And now, are you at this point in time, are you sort of writing jokes in your own house, no one knows that you're interested in comedy? Or is, is there a family or friend or support group around you of some sort going, mate, mate, you should be a comedian? Um, no. I, honestly, like, I was kind of just... I didn't really have anyone telling me to be a comedian. Particularly, I mean, I was doing finishing a law degree at the time. So I think mm. everyone assumed mm. that I was just going to be a lawyer and have a pretty straight job. Um, so, yeah, I, but I kind of just felt, had the urge and I got the sense that I, you know, didn't really want to be a lawyer. Um, so I was kind of looking for a way out. Um, and comedy, I guess, was kind of a way out. Yeah, right. Isn't Sammy J, uh, didn't he also follow a similar path of law? And Yeah, I think Sammy J went to Melbourne Uni and did law there. Uh, Ronnie Chang also did, mm. you know, Melbourne Uni law. Charlie Pickering was at Monash probably maybe like 10 years ahead of me. You know, McAuliffe as well. So there's a bunch of guys who, you know. Yeah. So what is it about law that makes you want to leave it and do stand-up comedy? <laughs> Probably just the hours. Yeah, right. um, no, I, yeah, I think there's a connection between law and comedy just because, you know, law kind of teaches you to be very uh, analytical, look for holes and, you know, contradictions and so forth. And a lot of comp about finding things that don't make sense. And, you know, I think being analytical is, is pretty helpful, you know, when you're doing comedy and you kind of learn that, you know, when you're studying law, I think as well. So I yeah, think that's yeah. the connection. Um, but I, I, I know, I've, I've thought about it a lot. I think that's probably what's going on. It's not because Jim Carrey was in that movie, was it Liar Liar, um, some years ago? Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah um, but I, I think that's probably the reason, just the way it kind of makes you think about things. Yeah, right. And so you, you go down to Richmond, you do your show, you, you're pretty awful, uh, but people are super nice to you. And then you go that experience wasn't traumatic enough. I'm going to keep doing this. And eventually you get your first paid gig. Yeah. So how long between that that first um, traumatic episode to actually getting a paid gig? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I'd say, I mean, at least six months. And when I say paid gig, I mean like 20 bucks or something. So like, yeah, yeah. we're not talking about like, you know, proper money. But, um, and you know, I don't think you, you don't really start getting regular pay gigs, I think, until you're like, you know, a five, ten-year comedian. So um, it takes a lot of time. But I look, I think for me, it's more like, you know, what time, when did I feel like, when did I start getting comfortable on stage? When did I feel like I could go on stage and kind of, you know, be funny, you know, to a particular standard? Mm -hmm. Um, And that probably took about, I don't know, at least two years, I'd say. Um, And, you know, I'm sure like a few years from now, I'll look back and be like, oh, that was terrible at this stage. So I think you're always kind of, um, you know, modifying your expectations of yourself of what's good and what's not good. Yeah, right, right. Uh, before you're on, as you mentioned earlier, you're on your way to Channel Ten. Uh, but before you got your t- Channel Ten gig, you were on Channel Thirty One. You were the host of the Leak. Yeah, yeah. RMI TV, that is the uh, behind the scenes production team that does that particular show. They have helped develop the careers of Dave O'Neill, Will Anderson, Rove, Dave Hughes, for example. And it seems like they've done exactly the same with you so you've you've gone from the leak and now you're working as a writer for the project yeah it's a really good i mean it's a very good training ground you know getting into like like doing stuff with rmi tv doing stuff on channel 31 um it does teach you how to you know make tv and surprisingly it isn't that different between i mean just from my experiences working on the channel 31 show and now working at the project it's surprisingly you know it's quite similar you know it's a Essentially the same kind of writing. Um, you know, there's a control room, there's a studio, there's 
you know, production staff and crew. I mean, it's remarkably kind of similar. The only difference is obviously that, you know, Channel 10 has a, has a lot more money and, you know, and a lot bigger, yeah. that extra level of professionalism. But it's remarkably similar. And I was, I, was kind of, I was kind of taken aback when I, you know, walked into the office and kind of walked into the studio, the control room, and I thought, oh, well, this is just like, you know, the same control room we had at Channel 31. So, um yeah, it's a really good training ground just because I think it does actually give you a lot of real world yeah, experience. Yeah, right. And, and that's a great sort of, uh, and it's a great stepping stone. So uh, anyone who's looking at getting on TV at one point in time, the first place they might want to contact is RMIT TV. Yeah, definitely. up at RMIT University in Melbourne, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think that's like probably whenever people ask me, like you know, if, I, if people ask me a lot, like you know, how did you know how did you kind of get involved with the project? And I always just say, well, if you know, start writing stuff and start doing stuff on RMIT TV, or create your own sketches and put them online. Just start creating stuff and learning, you know, how to you know write in that way. Um, yeah, and RMIT TV is a really really good way of doing it. Now on the leak, you're just talking about general politics and issues. Your last show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival was called Jewish Ish. Yes. Which I'm 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 wondering, have you been derelict, negligent in your in in your commitment to the Jewish faith, and therefore this is sort of uh, your <laughs> your apology, or how, what's with the ish uh, at the end of the Jewish Ish? <laughs> Well, I call it a Jewish issue just because, you know, I've never considered myself religious in any aspect, and I've always kind of, uh, you know, really, to be honest, mocked the religious religious aspect of, you know, Judaism and, you know, pretty much all religions. Um, so I called the show Jewish issue because I was far more culturally Jewish, and it was a show about kind of like growing up, you know, with the expectations that come when you're in a Jewish community. Yeah. So I thought that top. Kind of, kind of, you know, it was a good way of kind of, you know, leading into that kind of stuff in the show. Um, so yeah, but look, I've never been, you know, a religious person, and I've, you know, I've never kind of apologised for not being religious. You know, it's just something that I've never, you know, kind of, I don't know, never taken to. Did you uh, at that show? Did you get a lot of Jewish people attending? People? Yeah, I think it was probably about fifty-fifty or so, um, which was good. Like, it's really nice the Jewish community comes out. Um, but I definitely would have, you know, the, the Jewish community is very, very great and supportive. I was definitely hoping to try and, you know, probably, you know, get a bit more uh, Gentiles in as well, just because you're trying to get my name. In. But, you know, what was great was that there was a few shows um, that fell on Passover. So as a result, uh, no Jewish people came to a few shows in particular. So the yeah, right. Completely, uh, just, you know, <laughs> Gentiles, which was really great. Cause I was so you happy. laid into the Jewish faith then, did you? It was like three yeah. for all, was it? Yeah, pretty much. Well, it was just, it was just a kind of a different, <laughs> slightly different vibe in the room and, um, I thought it was, you know, one of my funnest shows. So, yeah, I was really happy that, you know, even when, you know, there were no Jewish people in the crowd that, and the crowd was just, you know, non-Jews, um, I was really happy that even then it was a really good show. Well, no one would have admitted to being Jewish, even if they were on that on Passover. I did, like, I did admit at the start of the show because I'm just interested to know myself. Um, and I think, like, yeah. in the, like, there was, like, two Jewish people in, like, the whole room. Um, you know, for the first night, or like none in the second night. So, uh, yeah, people did, yeah. Uh, you know, enough, did catch up to it. Yeah, right, right. We're, we're talking about um, Jewish comedians now. Now, I couldn't tell you how many Hindu or Catholic comedians there are out there. No doubt there are. The Jewish faith seems to produce a higher proportion of comedians, though, than, than average. It, what is it about, about Judaism that helps, perhaps, with content? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a, it's a good question. I think that, like, you know, a lot of, you know, people get the sense that, you know, Jewish comedians are kind of like that old school New York kind of neurotic Jew, like, you know, Woody, Woody Allen, Allen right. exactly, or, you know, kind of or mm. Larry David and everything. So I think a lot of people's perception yep. of, you know, Jewish comedians comes from there. Um, 
uh, look, I think I don't, I don't know why it's. I think I think maybe you had a few people like that, you know, early on, like Larry David and you know, and Seinfeld and Woody Allen, who kind of became very famous comedians. And probably just the next generation Jewish people were like, oh well, you know, maybe this is a viable option. Well, maybe there's a higher percentage of Jewish people who do law. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe we all just do law degrees and then decide to just get into comedy. <laughs> That's it. It's a yeah, it's law or comedy in in that community. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. So obviously, being Jewish and Jewishish, the, the the show you did had a lot of stuff about your life as as being within that space, whether or not you were um, a good Jew or not. Um, wh- wh- how do you? So, so for someone listening to this podcast who's having writer's block, where do you get your inspiration from? How do you how do you formulate jokes? Um, well, yeah, you kind of learn joke structures just from you know writing comedy and watching comedy. So you can kind of learn that stuff. That technical aspect of things, you know, from doing a lot of watching and, and just writing yourself. Um, but working out where your stuff comes from. For me, I, I'd like to talk about, you know, I like to start off with a personal experience and then kind of extrapolate from there and be like, well, I had this experience and this is now what I think it reflects about the world. Um, just because I find that it's, you know, if you start from personal experience that you know about and you kind of have a bit more authority to talk about something, whereas if you kind of just start yeah. talking about, you know, politics or whatever in, in this kind of abstract way, then, you know, people are going to be like, well, you're not an expert on politics, why am I listening to you? So I think it's really, right. I think like a good thing that I've, you know, particularly in the past 12 months, probably started focusing on is trying to keep things, um, well, trying to start it with like something personal that, that I'm, you know, know a lot about and a very kind of comfortable talking about because I, because I've experienced it and lived it and then kind of, extrapolate yep. that and be like, oh, and this is kind of therefore why I think this about the world because of this personal experience I've had. Yep, 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 great. And when it comes to stand-up compared to writing, you're, you're at the project now, what's the difference in frame of mind, mindset, inspiration? Yeah, well, it's pretty different just because you kind of turn up and you kind of pretty much get told um, in advance, you know, what the stories are going to be that day. So, you know, that kind of, you know, yep. gives you a lot of, uh, focus. Whereas a sound, you can write about anything, obviously, but I go into the show and, you know, your focus is definitely narrowed, like this is what we're talking about. Um, so in that sense, it's very, very different. And on top of that, you know, uh, the jokes have to be really, really concise and short because, you know, the show has to be a certain length. Each segment is measured out. So you can't kind of, um, you know, write, you know, jokes on a tangent or, um, you know, you have to really right. keep things really short and succinct, which is, um, uh, you know, really helpful like I try to translate that into my stand-ups to make sure that when I'm doing stand-up, I try to be, you know, as, as fast and, and, you know, as, as tight as possible the way of the show kind of is. Right. So are you writing all, all of Peter Hellier's jokes then? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, look, we definitely kind of like, we'll definitely like pitch ideas for like Ben and Karen while Ed and, you know, whoever's on the show. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll use them, uh, but, you know, sometimes, you know, these guys are so good and so funny themselves that, you know, sometimes like we'll pitch them all these ideas and then they'll go on the show and, and do their own thing, and it's all so much better than what we yep. than what we pitch. So I think it's really great being able to, you know, work with guys who are that professional and that good, um, and just watching how they operate. And, yeah, you can kind of learn a lot from that. Oh, yeah, fantastic! Obviously, the experience you gained from working on the leak over at uh, Channel Thirty One has helped with a very fast-moving news show, the project that you're on at Channel Ten now. Was there any any anything that specifically that you found? Oh, you saved the day from your experiences back in uh, Channel 31? Well, I think the main thing I learned, you know, doing that Channel 31 show was that 
Um, it just taught me how to make content, you know, make a lot of content, you know, in a short amount of time because we were doing an hour live show every week and we were writing. We didn't have any writers really. So, I mean, we had a bunch of maybe a few people pitching in ideas, but we were essentially writing the entire script, you know, every, every week. So we had to just churn out so much content. And I think just kind of getting used to churning out content was, and like just knowing that you had the capacity to do that was, you know, very confidence building when, you know, you walk into like a, a TV show like The Project and they're like, okay, well, by 5.30 you need to have, you know, a number of pages of jokes for the for the cast. So I think just you know, learning how to chain out content and learning that, I've, you know, you have the capacity to do that is, yep. was you know, the most important thing. So are you watching, are you reading every newspaper, subscribe to every website to keep up with what's happening? Oh, uh, look, not really. I mean, I'm pretty kind of across the news anyway just because I find it interesting. But, you know, I don't, I, don't, I mean, mm. a lot of the time kind of, will turn up and, you know, you'll have the stories kind of explained to you if you don't understand anything um, so that you can yeah. kind of, you know, write on them. So, you know, it's good that we have a bunch of, like, really good, like, you know, journalists and producers of the show who, you know, if you don't understand a story, they can kind of, you know, sum it up for you pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the project, uh, as with a lot of uh, comedy in general, seems to be more left-leaning than, say, right-leaning. I, I think it's very hard to be a alt, alt-right and be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in that sense, how do you how do you make sure that your comedy is not too left-leaning and half the audience turn off? Yeah, like you're definitely trying not to. Look, at the end of the day, I think you're just trying to make something that's, that's funny. And it, look, it turns out that a lot of comedy tends to be left-leaning just because, you know, comedy is all about punching up and People, you know, right-wing conservatives tend to be the people in power. So you kind of punch up with people in power. You know, if you're doing kind of right-wing comedy, you, right. you might find yourself punching down quite a lot, which is not something that people want to laugh at. Yeah. Um, look, obviously the show has its own kind of, you know, worldview and has that perspective on issues. And I think that's fine. I think, um, you know, people watch the show knowing that, you know, they're going to get an opinion. And I think, you know, as long as you're making it clear that this is your personal opinion and your personal take on an issue... I think it's fine. Like, I, I mean, look, if that alienates some people, that's fine. You know, I think people will get alienated, you know, if you try to be, you know, really kind of like incredibly, you know, impartial and neutral and, and take out any opinion, then I think you'll just annoy people who do want opinions. So yep. no matter what you do, you're going to, you know, you're going to make people turn off and not like the show. So may as well kind of make the show that, that you want. Yeah, well, fantastic. Well, look, I know you're you're busy. You're actually off right now, physically, probably getting dressed and heading out the door to uh, Channel Ten. If someone would like to book you for a show, do an event. I mean, you do broad comedy. It's not just focused on uh, Jewishish, uh, of course. Um, how would someone get in contact with you? Yeah, well, I can put get in touch with me just through my website. My name is just Michael Schaefer. Uh, so it's just www.michaelschaefer.com. Um, I'm doing a show. If you're in Melbourne, I'm doing a show on the 3rd of June at the Butterfly Club called Melbourne Comedy Drive. That's where I host and uh, introduce like five or six of, you know, some of the country's best, you know, emerging and established comedians. So if you want to see me live hosting, that's a good one to come check out. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you very much for your time today. I understand you're a very, very busy man and very successful. I think your mum's pretty happy now that you've gone from uh, the leak up to Channel 10. That law degree may not have been very useful, but good good on you. (laughs) Yeah, she hopes that I'll still use the law degree one day, but yeah, we'll see what happens. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nice one. Cheers. Have a great one. I look forward to seeing you on stage soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.